For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you ready to enlarge your territory? Empire Transport is ready, willing, and able to cover all your transportation needs, both long-haul and local. We service South Carolina, throughout the southeastern United States, and across the country. Sound good? In addition to freight hauling, Empire Transport also offers a 24-7 taxi service in South Carolina and the greater Charlotte area, and a mobile mechanic service where we come to you. Empire Transport, your go-to for freight hauls, taxi service, and mobile mechanic work. Learn more at empiretransport.co. Come and enlarge your territory with us. Welcome to Kingdom Now, the podcast featuring faith with an edge, as we celebrate the kingdom of God within you. I'm your host, Dr. Leanne Marino, apostle, author, and theologian and founder of Spitfire Apostolic Ministries and all the works that go along with it. I'm excited to share this program with you as we explore the ins and outs of counterculture Christianity present as you live out the kingdom of God in your everyday life. Want to learn more? Visit my website at kingdompowernow.org. And now our program, which features a variety of formats here just for you. Interviews, Teaching and preaching proclaimed everywhere from my North Carolina studio to sanctuary and beyond. And powerful insights here for now as we turn the world upside down everywhere we go. Good afternoon, good evening, happy whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. And to our listeners in all of our Spanish-speaking countries, we say buenos dias. We hope that whatever time of day it is when you are listening that you are having a good one. And I welcome you to this edition of the Kingdom Now podcast. And I am your host, Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino, here as the Spitfire, serving as the voice of counterculture Christianity, where we feature the theme of faith with an edge. And if you would like to learn more about the world of counterculture Christianity, feel free to visit my website at kingdompowernow.com. Now, obviously, the title of our podcast overall is Kingdom Now, but the concept of the kingdom of God is one that is often not very explored in churches today. It's kind of a central identity that we overlook and that we don't give a whole lot of consideration to, especially given that this is a central identity to who we are as a corporate body of believers. Well, my guest today is Overseer Romel Parks Weekly, who is Overseer of the Sanctuary. And he has written a book called There Is More, which we will be discussing today and a lot of the ideas and the concepts found therein. And so I'm very, very excited to have you with us today, Overseer. Please take a few moments and introduce yourself to everybody. 
Well, first of all, thank you so much, Apostle, for having me on today. I really look forward to being able to share. So I am overseer of Romel Parks Weekly. And as you said, I have been the spiritual leader of the sanctuary since 2002. We mm-hmm. were called at the time New Revelation Christian Church, and then we reorganized in 2012 as mm-hmm. the sanctuary. And so been very pleased with doing that. But also in addition to that, I spent a lot of time doing biblical study and theological work. And so pushing the envelope when it comes to that, I don't just accept things because I was taught it. I interrogate scripture. I ask questions and I really try to seek out those embedded theologies that I just presume because we all think it and re-examine them. So I've taken some controversial stances over time, but most lately I've really been diving headlong into this concept of kingdom. And it's from that, that the book, There Is More, really was birthed. Oh, that sounds really, really interesting. Do you have a website? You know, I'll say yes and no. So right now, primarily on Facebook at facebook.com, my personal page slash Romel Parks Weekly, and then my ministry page slash Parks Weekly Ministries. But my website, which has been kind of like coming soon for a couple of years now, but (laughs) eventually you'll be able to, hopefully by the time your listeners hear this, they'll be able to visit it at www.parksweekly.org. Org, O-R-G. Oh, well, that actually sounds wonderful. And what will happen once you have the site is that then it will be needing to be updated for a few years. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ask me how I know it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to update it. We're going to update it. We're going to update it. Yeah, it's in process to be updated. You know, a year goes by. But yeah, so that's how that will go. Well, I'm very happy to have you on here. I've actually wanted to have you on for a while. And so I'm very glad that I finally reached out and that you agreed to do this. I would ask that you would tell our listeners a little bit of your backstory. And the reason I say that is because it's very interesting. I've actually heard it before. We were both in an event of about six years back in Atlanta. And so I got to hear basically kind of how you became a minister that really does push the envelope. And personally, I very much appreciate ministers who don't just accept everything that we were taught. One of my most annoying things, I guess it would be like, you know, the things that annoy me the most is when people's answer to questions is, well, that's what the church teaches, or that's what we've been taught. Not everything we've been taught is always right. So I really love it when people like to dive deep. But if you could take a few moments and basically kind of tell our listeners how you got here. Absolutely. So I was actually when I started my church, we were non-affirming. And that is to say non-LGBTQ affirming. My position on that particular topic wasn't that that I felt like people were you know, unsaved or automatically going to hell. I just felt that to engage in same-sex sexual behavior was not God's best for us, you know, and of course mm-hmm. that was based in me many ways on what I was taught at the time. Now, mind mm-hmm. you, I'm, I'm gay myself, but, you know, there is a difference between what one believes and who one necessarily is. And so at the time I was trying to live the life that I felt God wanted me to live and eventually got married in 2003. So a year into my pastorate at the time, got married to a woman living the life, trying to do all the things that, you know, that befits godliness, as we would say. And so in 2008, I was seeing a lot of, when it came to the question of homosexuality, seeing a lot of what I thought at the time were extremes that, you know, didn't have a proper balance. On one end, you had the anti-gay side, which was saying basically, even if you are gay, whether you want to be or not, whether you're trying to be delivered or not, if you're gay, God hates you, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm gay and I know that's not true. But on the other end of the spectrum, I saw what I thought was an extreme, which was God accepts you, God loves you, God affirms your marital relationship, same-sex marriages, and and there's no problem at all with homosexuality. It's, it's morally on par with heterosexuality in every way. And I thought, well, that's not true. So I thought that I would bring what I thought at the time was this wonderful balance to this topic (laughs) of extremes, right? And so to do that, I started off by, you know, engaging in a study. Before I sit down and write this, let's study this matter out. And it's amazing to me that, you know, I had such strong convictions on this topic but I had not actually studied it. I read about it. I read all different passages. I could, at the drop of a hat, probably preach a pretty convincing sermon 
on those different passages, but I had not studied them and applied the diligence to this topic that I applied to so many other topics. And mm-hmm. so in sitting down to actually do that with this question of homosexuality, to try to make a, quick, a long story short, I wound up having having to totally change my position. And I wound up at what I thought was an extreme at the time, which was that God does indeed affirm same-sex marriages, same-sex relationships, and same-sex attractions. And so I had to not only deal with that on a theological level in terms of, well, I can't believe this and not teach it to my church. So I had to actually make the church affirming, teach it, wound up losing most of my congregation in the process, but Mm -hmm. thank God we survived. But I was also married to a woman at the time. And so what does this do to my own you know, personal life. And so we ultimately decided to divorce. There was no reason to live to live a lie. She already knew before we got married that I was, at the time I told myself I was bisexual. So she, she knew that. But of course, we both were under the impression that as long as I was striving for deliverance, God would, would honor that quest. And so now mm-hmm. realizing that that wasn't going to be the case, we decided right. to go ahead and amicably separate and divorce. And so we did that, moved the church forward into affirmation. That was in 2009. We were hanging on by a thread and a prayer, as we would say. But in 2012, we wound up merging with another very small church here in St. Louis and mm-hmm. became the sanctuary. And so that brings us to, to present day in that relation. So I, in that, learned to not take any theologies for granted, to always look again, to not just presume to know what I'm talking about, but to really apply that, to the extent possible, objective inquiry into, into Scripture on any topic. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how God often uses our own issues. And when I say issues, I mean the issues with the things that are often very core to us in order to bring us to where he wants us to be. So many times people create those conflicts. And so I have to laugh as you were telling your story, because it made me think about my own journey with affirmation and acceptance of the queer community within church, because I was like, okay, I'm going to go the middle route, you know, okay, I'm going to find the answer over here because that one's too extreme and how that's often where God takes us is to that extreme in order to really show us what he wants us to do. I know that you have a few books written. Tell us a little bit about the books that you have, because I know one in particular is the result of your original study on homosexuality in the church. Indeed, that is homosexuality, which is a combination of homosexuality and Christianity. And that was the book that I was initially planning to write from this wonderful and glorious balanced perspective that ultimately wound up being quite affirming in its perspective. So that was the book that really changed my life. And then a couple of years, I released a follow-up called The Rebuttal, which takes, I think, over 300 footnotes in that book. But I studied about five different authors, leading anti-gay authors, and took the specific arguments that they made against homosexuality and same-sex marriage, against affirmation, and provided a a biblical rebuttal to all of those arguments. I I think it is over 300 of them. Wow. That's amazing to me to have that many footnotes. And I mean, I'm a footnote person. And so I probably have some books that probably teeter around 300 footnotes, but that's just amazing to be able to do that. It was a labor of love. (laughs) Uh, No, that's an understatement to say it's a labor of love. And as an author, you better believe I go and read through all those. You know, some people skip them. Oh, no, I'm there and I read the footnotes because someone took the time to write them and so i'm gonna go read them (laughs) so this brings us basically to your latest book titled there is more and what drove you to write this book in particular because it sounds like it's a little bit different from some of the other stuff that you've done it's very different so i was raised pentecostal and now my churches were charismatic Mm -hmm. but non-denominational but charismatic and so i've always been open to you know, the supernatural, baptism of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, things mm-hmm. of that nature. But I, f- I always felt like there was something missing. You know, for lack of a better phrase, I felt like there was more to this thing called Christianity. And so, but even in potentially exploring it, 
I would only consider it on the basis of fear and hesitation. Well, that's not godly. Well, that's not, you know, if it wasn't like an orthodox perspective, you know, we just assign so much to the devil. And so I was afraid to really like jump in headlong because I felt like there was so many opportunities to be misled. But I received Mm -hmm. a prophetic word a few years ago. And I actually dedicated there is more to the individual who gave me this word because it really did release me. And ultimately the word set me free from that fear and gave me like, you know, divine permission to just jump on in. And what I ultimately jumped into was my conception of what the kingdom of God was. And so there is more really lays out the the argument for what the kingdom of God is and why it is such an important component of how we do this thing called faith. And mm-hmm. it's amazing to me. I stay, my, even to this very day, I continue to be mind boggled by how far from the original intent the church has gone. We really have succumbed to religion, to ritual, to liturgy. Whereas mm-hmm. in scripture, you know, all throughout the gospels, Jesus prioritized the kingdom. There's a passage where he says, you know, I must go to the other cities and preach the kingdom also for I was sent for this purpose. And I thought, mm-hmm. no, you were sent to die on the cross. That's not what Jesus said. I was sent to preach kingdom. Then we know Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of this other stuff that occupies your thoughts and your time, God will will provide it. And so I really began to like reorganize and restructure my Christian worldview around Mm -hmm. this thing called kingdom and particularly around the supernatural components and aspects of it. There's a passage, 1 Corinthians 4.20, where Paul says that the kingdom is not in word, but in power. power. And so that spoke to me so richly. And so that's really what my ministry has been. I would say since around 2017, we've been really Mm -hmm. diving into this rabbit hole of the kingdom of God. And it's been an amazing journey. That's wonderful. That verse actually is very special to me, 1 Corinthians 4.20, because when I was first in ministry, that was our theme verse from the NIV, which was, but the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Yes. And I love that you mention it because nobody ever mentions it. It's like one of these passages that we kind of skip over. When people are talking about the writings of Paul or they're talking about the teachings, we kind of forget that, especially nowadays where people like to talk. I mean, I think that's a big facet of our world. You know, they are on social media and everybody's got to give their opinion or they're doing this and they got to say this or they're doing that and they got to say that. And so we put a lot of time into talking, but we don't really to really tap into that power. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that passage. And I'm also going to say, and I hope you will elaborate on it. <laughs> one of my biggest irritations is when people say Jesus just came to die. If Jesus just came to die, then Herod could have taken him out as an infant. Absolutely. So Jesus did not just come to die. He also came to teach us. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to show us that way. He came to teach us about that way. And when we talk about kingdom, I think that we're kind of devoid from it in modern society because we don't live under monarchies. So very, very few countries in the world do today. So as a general rule, the average American does not understand the significance of being in a kingdom in the kingdom of God in particular. What are some things notable that you discovered about the kingdom in your writing and the concept of kingdom and why that is important for us as believers? So for me, this idea of kingdom is an invitation to something greater, to something higher. It's like Mm -hmm. we live this life, even as people of faith, according to the quote unquote, for lack of a better term, the rules and regulations of a naturally ordered life. We play the game of life in the same way that non-believers play them. And it's like, what is the witness that you are offering that you are you know, giving people that gives them a reason to believe that there's more and gives them a desire to seek it out? When, when Jesus talked about in Matthew 6 about seeking first the kingdom, one of the arguments that he made was 
the stuff that you all that's occupying your time is making you no better than an unbeliever. They're seeking after the same things. So what really makes this worthwhile? And so Mm -hmm. I've come to define kingdom as a higher way of being, of thinking, of doing, of behaving, especially that part of thinking. And it's Mm -hmm. offering people a different way to exist and move in the world according to a higher level of, uh, I think about, so these two different realms, right? Spirit and Mm -hmm. natural. And Mm -hmm. Paul talks, not Paul, but the writer of of Hebrews, I should say, talks about how the worlds were framed by that which doesn't appear. That basically the spiritual realm is a higher realm than the natural realm. Everything in the natural came to exist by that which is in the spirit. And so from that perspective, by being people who through the kingdom have tapped into this spiritual realm, we have access to a different set of laws, to a different way of being, to a different way of thinking, to a a totally different paradigm Mm -hmm. that should set our experience in this life on a higher plane. For example, I talk about how miracles we consider them to be so phenomenal and so amazing in the natural realm. Well, yeah, they would be because they violate natural law, but they don't mm-hmm. violate spiritual law. They're literally the norm in the spirit realm. And so I want, I think the kingdom is an invitation for us to tap into that higher realm, but to make that higher realm our norm that we don't, we no longer have to be so amazed and so taken aback by that, which is our heritage to be our normal experience. And so, and unfortunately, like I said a moment ago, the church has really fallen into living according to the same pattern as, for lack of a better word, the world. And so I think Mm -hmm. that we've missed out on what being the people of God really means, what being created in the image, to be imagers of God, what that really entails to be people who have been given dominion, what that really means. And I, but I think that when our eyes become open to it, all of this, all of a sudden seems worth, it seems worth doing. It makes, it makes church, it makes faith. It makes all of this so much more worthwhile than just getting up to go because it's Sunday or opening my Bible to read it because I have to read two verses a day. It Mm -hmm. really, to me, it, it infused my faith with the level of life and vigor that I really hadn't known before. And I didn't even know what's missing. I just, I just knew something was. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's very powerful. I am reminded as you were talking of a statistic that I heard a number of years ago. So I want to specify that it's probably even higher now, but I remember when I heard the statistic and I believe I heard it on messianic vision with Sid Roth on the radio. This is how, so that's how many years I'm going back. (laughs) They said that somewhere around 75% of Pentecostal and charismatic churches no longer saw any activity of the spirit. And if I'm saying it was a long time ago, it was probably before you were in the pastorate. I would say that it was around the late nineties, early two thousands. What do you think has happened? Do you think that it's just that we have kind of accepted commonplace? Is it that we are overwhelmed by the world? And by that, I mean worldly priorities, whether it's bills or money or cares. Is it that people are looking for different solutions to problems? It's like, hey, they don't really think that God can do it for them anymore. What do you think is going on that we've kind of gotten so far away from this mentality of kingdom? So I try my best not to see a devil behind every corner, but Mm -hmm. I really have to say that I think that he's been very masterful in knowing that there were some people he couldn't keep from the church, but he could still keep them from exploiting all of the fullness of what the church was intended to offer and provide. And so I think that ultimately what has happened is we've been lulled into a false sense of security in the notion that because we go to church and because we do the, the religious rituals, we have our Mm -hmm. praise and worship, we have our offering, we have our sermon, we have our altar call, that that is the extent of what this whole Christian experience has to offer. And so in that, we've basically been pacified. You might even say we've been neutered um, by our commission because of what I might call, quote unquote, the spirit of religion. 
And so I don't doubt the sincerity of believers, of Christians. It's just that I don't think we realize how much more there actually is, or we've ascribed it to the Bible days. Like those were just things that they did in the Bible days. And even amongst Pentecostals and Charismatics, it's like we've become Pentecostal and Charismatic in our theology, but not so much in our practice. And so, so yeah, I think that religion and we've gotten locked into the cycles of doing church and we've missed out on, there are two passages that really speak to me in relation to this. One is in the Psalms where he talks about, I think it's in Psalm 27, where he talks about one thing if I desire of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and dwell in the house of the Lord. He says, and that I may inquire in his temple. And I think that we've lost that, that sense of awe of just being able to want that sense of holy wonderment about mm-hmm. the bigness of God and what God, that big God is inviting us into. And then there's a New Testament passage where he talks about, and I think that we oftentimes misapply or misunderstand or misinterpret the language here, but Paul talks about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I don't think that's an afraidy cat type fear, but this sense of absolute reverence and absolute awe. And I think that because of the cycles of doing church and and we, we can come in and we can shout, we can dance, we can speak in tongues, but even those things have become ritualized in, in many ways. We've lost that sense of awe and amazement at God and at what God has made available to us. And so that's ultimately what I think has happened. We've kind of been imprisoned to the cycles of doing church. And that makes perfect sense because it's like, I think some of what's going on right now is we're kind of coming out of a lot of very traditional mindsets. And the one that you're talking about, like just going to church is one of those specific mindsets. I try to explain to people when I was at least growing up, I just turned 42. So we're talking eighties and nineties. The association was that you went to church and it made you a good person. Mm-hmm. That people who didn't go to church were therefore seen as bad people or were seen as maybe not bad, but they weren't as good. Maybe would kind of be the way to put it. And we're still kind of in that cycle, even though maybe we're not necessarily getting everything out of it because we do it out of a sense. A lot of people do, maybe not all of us. I like to go to church, but a lot of people go out of a sense of obligation Rather than going because, hey, we're getting something out of this, how we're getting something here, we can gain something from it. And so we become spectators. We're not really always participating or seeing it as a participatory thing. So in that, and knowing that you were a leader as well as I'm one, and I know we have a lot of leaders who listen to this particular program, What exactly are some things you would say that leaders can do in order to respond to this issue, in order to kind of make the kingdom of God something that's understandable, that's not kind of spooky, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, because a lot of people talk about it as it's not relevant today, or we'll get there when we die, or, you know, something of that nature. They kind of make it intangible where we can kind of break through these cycles of people just doing an obligation and really getting it to where people can get excited about what's available for them. So, okay. So there is this feeling that the things of God and particularly something that we're talking about, like this big thing called the kingdom has to be complicated, but it always returns back to that idea of the simplicity of Christ. One of the things that I really think that we as leaders can do, and this may, again, may sound too simple, but is listen. And when I say listen, I mean, listen to people. That's this whole movement now of people who say I'm spiritual, but not religious, right? Right. And then we have this idea of new age and new thought. And I think that in many of these, in many of these movements, we have just a group of people who are like, I believe that there's something here But this structured religion is just not giving it. 
And I think it's easy for us to criticize and critique those perspectives because it like removes the responsibility from us to have offered them the more. But I've been in this thing a long time and I have to agree with them. There is something beyond what this you know, structured religious system has offered. I'm not one who is opposed to the structure. I'm not one who is opposed to what we would call, quote unquote, organized religion. I just want us to remove it from the prison that it has found itself in. And so from that perspective, you know, when we hear people saying that, you know, I just, I just, I still believe in the spiritual realm and I, I still believe in spirit beings and all these types of things. Don't just ignore it and don't just, you know, dismiss it as being demonic, you know, give thought to it, give prayer to it, look in scripture, because if you want to talk about a supernatural thing, scripture <laughs> get bears witness to a lot of supernatural stuff. And so I would just say, don't be afraid be open to the possibilities and just search it out with the new with eyes of openness because it's in there in the text if you if you're afraid to consider something that the bible doesn't explicitly sanction or or talk about then you know you're in good company all of this stuff is in the bible it's just that Mm -hmm. we've read it from a safe distance Mm -hmm. without wanting to really get ourselves too immersed in it but all i can say is There's a reason that Jesus told the disciples before he left, go to Jerusalem and wait. I know you got a lot of preaching to do. I know you need to baptize some folk. I know you need to hold revivals. But before you do any of the works of ministry, go and wait until you are endued with power. Don't do any of this church stuff. Don't do any of this ministry stuff until you are endued with power. There's a reason for that. And so, yeah, if we come back to that place of reordering spirit above the ritual and realizing that it's okay, this is a good thing, I think that it really opens the door to invite us and for us to invite others into a deeper experience. And the last thing I would say is this. We are very afraid, I think, as leaders, we're so often afraid of people outgrowing us or having are out experiencing us, if you will. But I would say, you know, welcome that, that this is not just a clergy only club, that God mm. really has offered freely the kingdom to all of us. And so we can learn and grow from other people's experiences. Scripture talks in Proverbs about iron sharpening iron. And I just really think that if we just dispel some of those hesitations and some of those fears and some of those needs to be validated or to to be the one farthest along in the journey and just open the floodgates and say, let's let's check this thing out and see where it leads. I think we'll be in such a better position. As you're talking, what I'm picturing in my mind is the first century is the early church experience that's very much back to basics where, you know, I am a very big believer in scripture, and I do believe that we have scripture for that reason. You know, we have it to help us to sort out what we believe and help us to know what's true from what's false. And I'm not nullifying the Bible at all before anybody sends me an email about what I'm about to say, (laughs) because that does happen. But what I'm going to say is that sometimes I think we forget that that early church experience did not have the Bible. Exactly. They literally only had what you're talking about. They had the spirit. And like you say, they had to stay still. Jesus said, go and wait, go and wait. And I think that we forget, I could get a whole message out of go and wait right there because we like the form. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, the Bible talks about the form but not having the power. And I think that we like the form. We like the idea that, hey, I'm called, so I got to go start a church and it's going to look like 57 other churches that are in my neighborhood. Or, hey, I feel called, so I got to have that revival you talked about, or I got to have this, or I got to have that. And we don't give a lot of consideration for the go, but wait part, that we have to wait for that guidance. We have to wait to be led. The concept of these different spiritual movements, particularly the history of Pentecostalism, of which charismatic Christianity is a subset, was about going and waiting. If you read the story about how the people at Charles Parham School were very, very devout, and they sat and they waited for the Spirit to come. They earnestly prayed. They earnestly, you know, believed God. They sat vigil. They took a lot of time. And I wonder if some of what you're talking about with kingdom development is that we like the idea of the form because it doesn't take as much time. Mm. Now, in real time, it takes a hell of a lot longer (laughs) because while you're trying to do all the same stuff everybody else is doing, you're in essence wasting time. So it takes you that much longer to get wherever God wants you to be. But that the idea of the being still and of the waiting and of letting God do something within you and within your community means it might be different. But I think that that's a really big part of what this is about. I mean, we do not need any more church as usual. That's exactly church as usual. That's exactly what every other church in the city is doing. And we are in a copycat church age. I mean, if you study the history of the seeker-friendly movements and these big, huge mega churches, they are literally all the same. They're LaCroix Baptist, as we might put it, where they're kind of basically Baptist in structure, but you wouldn't know that looking at them. And they are all patterned exactly the same way. So we have to pause and wait for that difference. So what role in everything that you're talking about with the spirit and the move of the spirit and the role of the kingdom of God, does the work of spiritual gifts play in this development? So I absolutely think that they are a vital part of it. When Paul talked about the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how these gifts are given for the benefit of all. So it's not just to make the prophesier look hyper-spiritual or the one who heals to look hyper-spiritual. It's to benefit the entire body. And so Mm -hmm. I believe that they serve as a witness to affirm and confirm that which we are preaching, that which we are speaking, Mm -hmm. but they also serve to make the love of God tangible. It's like in so many of our spaces, the love of God is very ideological. It's very theoretical. But, you know, we believe it because I've been taught it, but do I have a tangible expression of that reality? But yet when we see the gifts going forward and when we're a beneficiary of a gift, when we've been prophesied to or we've been healed, then we can, it it lets us know I actually matter to God. I'm on God's mind. God, this big old God of the universe is thinking about me and thinking good thoughts concerning me. And so I think that they serve to not only validate and affirm who we are as individuals, as people, and let us know that God sees us, but then they also invite us into that same experience. There's a text in in Revelation that talks about how the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. They, They invite us not just to know Jesus ideologically or as an idea. It's like for some Christians, I know it's going to sound so bad when I say this, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but it's like for so many Christians, we don't know Jesus any greater than we know Julius Caesar or than we know Alexander the Great. It's just somebody we read about in the book. You know, and maybe got a little emotional when somebody sang a song about him because they hit the chords right on the keyboard. 
but that doesn't equal having an actual experiential knowledge of, of Christ. And I think that the gifts are a way of knowing him and by extension, knowing the spirit, knowing God in a much more tangible, experiential way, both as the recipient, if you will, of that blessing of the gift, but also as one who is operating in that gift in service to other people. So, yeah, I think Mm. that that really does provide a framework through which kingdom becomes more real to us and not just a concept that we hear about. I just love this interview. I love what you said. I love that because if we take the spirit out of what we do, then there really is not a place for everybody. And isn't that exactly what's happened in churches? Even in churches that, like you say, might have the doctrine on paper, they believe in the possibility, but they're not walking in it or they're not really doing anything with it. And there are movements that tend to become very leader-centric, almost like cults of personality. Absolutely. Might be the way to kind of put it where we're following people because we like them or because we like that preacher. We're not there because we're participants. And very much in this concept of kingdom and of God as our leader and us being a part of what I call an alternate society is very much a group participation that there really is a place for all of us and there is a place for everything and we determine that through our spiritual gifts so how would you recommend that people who are interested in tapping into development of the gifts you know maybe they don't really know what they are or they have nowhere to start with that framework What would you recommend that they do, you know, in hearing this so that they can start to take those steps? So one of the things is that, so a couple of things. So first, I believe that, and I know, you know, everybody has different perspectives on it, but for mine, I believe that the gifts are, I think the best way to to talk about it is to use the analogy of music. And so for me, there's a person who can play the piano and pick up on it quickly because they have a gift for piano. They've been taking lessons for six months and they're playing like, you know, Beethoven's whatever symphony, right? But then there's somebody else who it takes four or five years. They still get to that level of proficiency, but it takes much more time and much more practice and much more labor. And so for me, when it comes to the supernatural of God and even those things that we characterize as gifts, The first thing that I would say is don't think that if you don't have a quote unquote gift, that the operation in that area of supernatural ministry is out of reach for you. So for example, there are people who I don't think necessarily have a gift of prophecy, but they can still prophesy, but it comes Mm -hmm. much more naturally to some people. There are some people who even were like discerning of spirits, they can tap in and they can sense even when they weren't even asking for it, right? Sensing the spirit right. realm, being very, having that gift of empathy, right? Sensing what's going on around them comes naturally to them. Well, they have a gift. Whereas for me, I really have to be very intentional about centering myself and opening myself up to what's going around me because it just doesn't come naturally to me. And so for me, I really think that if we accept the fact that all of this is available, even if it may take more effort on the part of some than on the part of others, that 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 would, number one, set us free from this idea that we can't unless we get this like supernatural unction that this is your gift. I also believe that, and you know, in the church that I grew up in, we just kind of thought, you know, if the Holy Spirit doesn't unction you in a particular moment, this is, then you can't operate in this certain thing or can't mm-hmm. do this. But I've come to believe that gifts are actually that, they're gifts. And so once the gift is given, we have the ability to operate in it. And in the same way, we can also develop and learn. The first time I heard School of Prophecy, I was like, I was done. Like, what? You can't learn that. That has to be the Holy Ghost, you know? <laughs> so, um, but the idea of actually training and developing people in, you know, seeing in the spirit and training people and developing them in prophecy and training and developing even in things like divine healing. I didn't learn any of that until I started exploring this idea of kingdom. 
And so I, I think that, you know, seek out those opportunities to learn how to operate in these areas. One area of self-promotion I would shamelessly promote is that I launched a website called Thy Kingdom Came Academy, which, you know, is that play on words from Thy Kingdom Come to, well, now it has, and we don't have to just keep looking for some future fulfillment, but thykingdomcame.org where I actually teach people and walk them through processes of learning how to develop in these areas of supernatural abilities, whether or not one may necessarily have a gift or not, that they can learn to, to tap into that. But there are so many resources that are available to not think that that waiting, we talked about waiting, right? To not think that waiting means to be frozen in time. Even in waiting, there are things you can be doing to help develop your own self such that when you do step out and move and function in ministry, you're doing it now because you spent that time actively developing yourself while you're waiting on God to give you that next step in that next in this next season for your life. And so, yeah, that's one example of where people can go to learn how to function and flow. And one quick other thing I wanted to say, you mentioned about this idea of the gifts being extended to the whole body and giving people in the body a place. That's so, so rich and so powerful because, and that's why I said earlier about spiritual leaders not being afraid to let other people grow and develop and serve and function and flow because we get so accustomed to being the one with the word, to being the one with the Mm -hmm. direction, to being the one with the insight, to where it really does become this celebrity event where we're at the helm. And I just want to encourage you, if you are a leader and you're listening, don't be afraid to let other people shine. If our job as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is to equip or perfect the saints for the work of ministry, then them functioning and flowing is a testament to how we have been equipping and perfecting them. And so, yeah, giving people that platform and that place to serve just, to me, makes the whole body so much richer because there are people who have areas of interest and skill and talent that I just cannot duplicate. And so if I can shine in who I am and let them shine in who they are, then every hole gets plugged and we're able to do all things well because it's not all falling on the shoulder of one great grand poobah called the pastor. Mm. Amen to that. And not to mention that when we are leaders and we try to lead with the grand poobah mindset, because I don't know about you, but at one point in time I did because that was where we were at and that was what I thought we were supposed to be. We almost treated the apostolic, as I used to make a joke about it, we used to treat the apostles as if we were the lead singer and the rest of the fivefold were our backups. Yeah. And that in different times, you know, whether that was, it could be the pastor was the upfront one at different times, you know, whoever was in the front might've changed, but we kind of had that impression that you know that was how we were supposed to minister it also makes you really tired and burnt out yes i think about my own experience with that which was around 2016 where i pretty much just crashed and burned emotionally and spiritually to a certain extent because i could not keep doing it the way i was and what i find has happened the past few years is that I almost find God to be re-educating me in the apostolic simply because I did it the way that we were always supposed to do it. And it not only didn't work for me, it wasn't the right fit. And we very much gave the message, if you didn't do it the way everybody else did it, then you were the one who wasn't called. And that's not really the case. There were different apostles in the first century and they did do different things and they did work with different communities and It was not this one, you know, mold kind of fits all thing that we often make things out to be in church. But I guess that would be part of the form that we like the idea that we can just start something and stick everybody in it. And it's going to work for everybody when it does not work like that. And that's where the spiritual gifts, I think, come in in a big way, because what happened for me and what made me think about the statement I made a few minutes ago was that. I put up a status on Facebook ages ago. I don't even think you were on my page yet. So you probably don't even remember it. But I made this status, you know, back in those days when we kind of barked at everybody on there. 
that, that and, and everybody knows what I'm talking about. Sometimes I make my own self cringe looking at my old comments. Was I said church is not a spectator sport, participate. And everybody came on and amended. And I guess, you know, it must have been God kind of giving me witness because I said, well, how are they supposed to? You know, unless you want to take the collection or you want to be on the worship team or work the AV, what really else is there for people to do? Wow. And that even kind of came from a realization in that, you know, I would go to the churches and I mean, notably, a lot of the times I was the guest speaker. But, you know, have you ever laid hands on 100 people, 150 people and had them all hug you? And then you got to drive home. You almost feel like you've been trampled on. And I think that that's kind of led to that cult of personality that it's like. If we have everybody focus on us, we seem to think that that's leadership instead of considering that leadership is like, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So this should be a situation where we do walk in the things that we're ordained to walk in. And we do express the gifts that we have just simply because one person can't do it all. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Totally. And I, I, one of the things I've been telling my congregation a lot lately is on Sunday mornings before service, we have what we call kingdom class. I stopped calling it Bible class and I said, no, it's going to be kingdom class. And one of the things that I've been sharing is one of my goals here is for you not to need me. When you need me, I am <laughs> here. Call me. But what really helps me know I've done my job well is not just to give you enough to keep coming back for more but to actually equip you so that you don't even need to call. Now you don't have to say, oh, see, will you pray for so-and-so? No, because you've been equipped to pray. You've been equipped to go and lay hands yourself. You've been equipped to discern what's behind this, what's the spirit moving behind this situation for your own self. And so, yeah, I think as good leaders, we're empowering people or, you know, we're getting out the way so the spirit can empower people to serve and to rise and grow in their own giftedness and in their own callings rather than just being that central hub and nexus mm-hmm. that everybody else's ministry has to flow from. So yeah, I absolutely think and we and we can do this so well when we do it the Bible way. And mm-hmm. it's amazing because there was no way for like, so if we, if we were to go back to the primitive church, there was no way for Paul to be able to be what so many pastors and preachers are today, because back then they didn't even have the technology that would allow him to. And right. so there's something that we can learn from his, you know, itinerancy and going from different places and training up and raising up and installing leaders who could actually function without him because right. he had to go somewhere else at this point. You know, we could learn, I think a lot from that and no longer have the need to be at the center of attention, because like you said, ministry, it drains you and not just mm-hmm. physically, but spiritually. I remember the text where Jesus, it says that he was, you know, slip away and, and go spend time mm-hmm. alone to pray. And that's so real because, you know, he, he, there were times that he ministered to so many people that it's like, okay, I got to go do some me time and get some, you know, right. work on me because I won't have anything left to give. And so mm-hmm. to learn from his example of raising up his disciples such that he could actually send them out, go out without me and make some mm-hmm. stuff happen. You know, and they were so amazed when they went out and did it. And they say, you know, Rabbi, the demons actually listened. And he was like, why are you surprised? <laughs> you right. know, that's how this is supposed to work. So just mm-hmm. seeing, trying to duplicate that sense of empowering other people for the work, I think is so rich. And it frees us from the need to have to always be at 10, 24 hours a day. Right. Oh, I agree with that. 
Absolutely. And that's ideally what we were supposed to be, because if you look at that first century experience, and I love what you said about Paul and about the other apostles, you know, there were periods when they were in jail. There were periods when like John had the revelation, the vision of the revelation. He was in exile on an island somewhere and the church still had to function. Yes. The church still had to go on. I remember when I was in fifth grade and I went to Catholic school at the time and our principal wasn't there that day. And my mom asked me something about it. And she said something to me about that has stuck with me for all these years that one of the signs of good leadership is that everything continues to function even when you're not there. Absolutely. And so we should not be raising up people for dependence, like you say, for the sake of being the center of attention, for the sake of being the cult of personality. We're supposed to be making a church that functions in our absence, that continues when one day we are gone. And the way that we remain current from age to age is the spirit. Because you know what? Bible translations are going to come and go. We are still learning about the Bible. I think we are still learning a lot about the culture and a lot about the context. And there is more information out there to be found. We may one day find that some of the stuff we thought we knew we didn't. You know, at least not in the same sense that we do. But the spirit is something that always is there that gives us that insight. So in saying that and in talking about the whole idea of there being there is more and... How do we get people interested in this? How do we get people who maybe really think that they have the Bible and if the King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for them, which take all the time you need with that. You know, since King James was not a contemporary of Jesus, you know, (laughs) when we've gotten so custom and used to our routines, how do we shake up and desire this? The best answer I can provide to that is to be This is going to sound so churchy, but we have to be the witness to it. Our own ministries, our own life has to bear witness because, you know, we can talk about it, but it goes Mm -hmm. back to what Paul said about, you know, so in first, I believe it's chapter two in first Corinthians where Paul says, you know, that he doesn't want people's faith to have to rest on the wisdom of men or basically on good preaching, but on the power of God. And I think about how so many people have gone through crises of faith because all they had to hang their faith on were words. And it's like, no matter how profound you are, no matter how prolific what you have to say is, there's always going to be another philosophy. There's always going to be another idea that sounds even more profound. But one thing you can't get away from is when you lay hands and they recover. One thing you can't get away from is when there's a prophetic word and it's accurate, right? And so Mm -hmm. what God offers in the kingdom and the power of God, it gives people something to hang their faith on. Again, that's more experiential and not just ideological. And so Mm -hmm. I think that by us being able to be free to flow and function in our own experience of the kingdom, that that can really bear witness to what we have to share beyond just being able to sit down over a cup of coffee and say, Hey, have you heard of the kingdom of God? Because whereas that's good, (laughs) it's good. But if it doesn't have those signs and wonders following, it's amazing because Jesus said, and he told us right there in Acts 1 and 8, right? He says, and Mm -hmm. you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he says, and you shall be witnesses it wasn't the word we think about us taking you know getting these tracks and going out to the highways and the byways and passing out these pre-printed tracks that's what it means to witness well according to jesus witnessing were healing miracle signs and wonders and so when we have that the power of the kingdom at work in our own lives and in our own ministries that that itself bears witness he talks about how prophecy opens the heart of people, makes them fall on their face, and it it brings them to a place of awe, where now when we do preach Christ and Him crucified, now they're open to receive it. And so, yeah, I really think that that can, just the the experience of doing what we do as in kingdom can really break up the fallow ground, if you will, and make those people who otherwise would have been reticent or even opposed to the idea a little more open to it. There's a. I, I'm often told, you know, we think about this idea of seeing is believing. 
well, maybe we can give them something to see. Maybe we can mm. give them something to see. I love that. That very, very rich. Well, we're about at the end of our episode. And what I like to do at the end is kind of turn it over to you as the guest. And is there a final thought or kind of a closing word you'd like to leave everybody with? So you had mentioned this idea of learning more and growing more and having our own existing beliefs challenged and hoping that we you know we'll find out that it wasn't the way we thought it was, even though we thought it strongly. One of the things that has just baffled me is I God began to really open before 2016, Kingdom was just the next catchword. It was the next cute trend that we would throw around in church. But when he really began to open my eyes to what the kingdom entailed in about 2016, this is now 2023 going into 24. And I mm -hmm. am still baffled by how much I'm learning. <laughs> I call the kingdom a rabbit hole. And that rabbit hole breaks off into so many different trails of possibilities. I love the language that Jesus uses in John when he talks about in my father's house are many, now King James says mansion, but in my father's house are many rooms. And I think about mm -hmm. how God is inviting us to explore all of these different rooms of possibilities in his house, in the kingdom. And so I really want to invite people to see how much bigger than the mundane traditional Christian experience that, that the kingdom of God really is, that there really is something still there that can knock us over in a sense of awe and reverence and to go out and seek it, to go out and find out what is this? If you've ever felt that there is more, I can't put my finger on it. I can't articulate it. I want to just affirm that feeling that you've been having. I've had it too. And I've been in this thing now in this kingdom move for now seven years and I'm still awestruck. I'm still, there are times that my mouth still hangs open in shock because mm -hmm. it's really, God really is that big. And so I just, I really just invite everyone to, to explore the possibilities, explore, don't just camp out at the doorway of Calvary. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful, I couldn't get in without Calvary. So I take nothing <laughs> from it, but that's the door. There's a whole house with many rooms to explore. And I invite you all to begin that exploration. That was beautiful and very, very well said. And amen to that exploration. And even if you think you're in it, which a lot of people will, even if you think you're in it, there's still something else to learn as you're proving all these years later. Absolutely. Well, how can everybody get in contact with you if they would like? I am on Facebook, like I said earlier, facebook.com slash Romel Parks Weekly. You can also email me at, what is it, rparksweekly at gmail.com. As I said earlier, you'll eventually be able to find me at <laughs> parksweekly.org. I think for right now, those are the best ways to reach out to me. And also at thykingdomcame.org. Thank you. I was going to ask you to bring that up again if you did not. Also, how can everybody get a hold of your books? They are actually all available on Amazon. Again, that first one, Homosexuality, the follow-up, The Rebuttal, and then my latest book. Oh, there's also another, a third one that's on homosexuality, and it's called Homosexuality and the Death of the Church. And then this latest one, There Is More, all available in both paperback and Kindle format at Amazon. Well, definitely go check those out because they are worth adding to your library read through all the footnotes <laughs> as one author to listeners read all the footnotes because there's important information in there and overseer i thank you so much for being on the program today i do hope that we can have you back again i appreciate the invitation and i really thoroughly enjoyed the conversation well i'm very very glad well, and to everybody who's listening, I thank you all very much for being here today, taking the time, listening in to learn more about the kingdom. And if there are some additional resources that you would like to check out, I recommend my book because we've been talking so much about the spirit today. My book called Manifestations of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in your life. That's Manifestations of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church and in your life. And my book, Governing Intimacy, a Journey 
journey through the Song of Solomon. That's discovering intimacy, a journey through the Song of Solomon. And the reason I'm recommending that book in particular is because I talk about the tangible experience of God or what we would talk about the sensory experience about experiencing God through the gifts in things such as speaking in tongues or experiencing healing or things of that nature. Go look me up, Dr. Leanne B. Marino on amazon.com or wherever books are sold. We have both paperback and eBooks available. And actually soon we're going to have a hardcover book in 2024. So I'm very excited about that. Look me up and check that out. Also, if you are interested in connecting, I would love to hear from you. I would love to have a conversation. Look me up at Kingdom Power Now all over the internet, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, anywhere where there's social media. I'm on there at Kingdom Power Now. Definitely look me up so that we can start that dialogue today. And check out my Pathios column, which is pathios.com forward slash blogs forward slash leadership on fire. That's pathios.com forward slash blogs forward slash leadership on fire, where we talk about a little bit of everything relating to the Bible and leadership and faith today. Blog title is Leadership on Fire. Check that out as well. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the world of counterculture Christianity, feel free to check out my website at kingdompowernow.org. That's kingdompowernow.org. Looking for seminary, one that is completely practical, affordable, and you will actually use everything that you learn in it. Check out Apostolic University Seminary at apostolicuniversity.org. That's apostolicuniversity.org. And not to be confused with Overseer's Church, if you are in the Charlotte, North Carolina area and you are looking for your found family because family means that no one gets left behind, check out the work of Sanctuary International Fellowship Tabernacle, we often just call it sanctuary because the name is long at welcomeinthisplace.org. That is welcomeinthisplace.org. And if you have any questions that you cannot find answers to on our website, which is all new, I've been saying I was going to revise it forever. Now it's been done. If you would like to reach out, we would be more than happy to answer any questions that you might have. And this is Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino reminding you in closing that the kingdom of God is now. And that means that as part of that, we have access to the power and promise that it contains if we will only reach out and experience it for ourselves. Until next time, be blessed. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Now. I pray it proves to be a blessing in your life. To learn more about this work, ask a question, submit feedback or a topic suggestion, advertise on air, or donate to this work, visit my website, which contains essential information and links for other points of contact around the web at kingdompowernow.org. Also, if you are in our area and would like to visit Sanctuary International Fellowship Tabernacle SIFT, visit welcomeinthisplace.org. Until next time, this is Apostle Dr. Leanne Marino reminding you that the kingdom of God is within you, and that means the kingdom is now.